Our church staff enjoys morning coffee breaks together five days a week. And those are times for which we all take responsibility to provide the snacks. And one day recently, we walked into the kitchen and there was this lavish buffet of incredible mouth-watering food. And we learned that it was Jim who had gone out of his way to give us something beyond the usual bagels or donuts or whatever we have. And we had to ask him, why such extravagance? And his answer caused all of us to take note. He said, because I'm so thankful to work in this place with all of you. This staff is God's gift to me and I wanted to say thank you and this is one way I could do it. That touched all of us very deeply. We love Jim. But it was nice to know he loved us and really appreciated being part of our team and he told us so. Jack Nicholson in the movie As Good As It Gets gave a beautiful description about why he loved this woman who was a waitress, if you recall that scene. She said, you've got to give me a compliment. And he wasn't really good at that, if you know the character. And he said, after deep thought, you make me want to be a better man. I see you as the most wonderful person who ever graced this restaurant, while others only see you as a woman serving them dinner. And I thought, that's affirmation. Seeing something in people, other people miss, and then telling them. I want us to think today about the power of affirming people as an extension of our theme this year of serving others. I am absolutely convinced one of the great ways we can serve others in the name of Christ is to see things in them others fail to see, never take time to see, and never tell them. Affirming, encouraging others, I believe, is one of the most powerful demonstrations of Christ's love. And in our text today, we get a glimpse of the heart of Paul. If you ever really get into his letters, this is the most personal of all of them. And I don't know how you felt during the reading of that text, but it was almost like a love note from a friend to people he just valued. I thank God every time I remember you. His heart was throbbing with love for these people, and he told them so. So for a moment, let's look at our text and see if we can learn anything about affirmation. First, we find Paul took time to be thankful for the people in his life. And then he told them, I thank my God every time I remember you, and in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When Christianity is working right, every believer is an affirmer. Why? Because we've been touched by the affirming hand of Jesus Christ. We've been lavished upon with his grace. And it's almost an involuntary reaction to give to others what we constantly receive. Paul calls the Philippian Christians this interesting title, Partners in the Gospel. And that can mean many things, but among its many meanings, to be a partner in the gospel, I believe, is to take time, as Paul did in this letter, to tell people the potential we see in them. To let them know we simply enjoy them. To be willing to get involved in their needs, crawl into their skin so much so they begin to feel we are God's gift to them. One highlight of my ministry this fall was graduation night with our elders. That's a time when one-third of our elders graduate after their three-year term. And we just spend the whole evening telling them, each of them, how they touched our lives. And it's always a, a very beautiful time, sometimes a teary time. But I'll never forget a similar night when years ago we told an elder as he was graduating all of the wonderful ways he touched our life. It was a very moving time and 
afterward, he heard all these positive comments and he was kind of surprised by them, I remember, because he hadn't realized he had that kind of impact on us. And he went home and told his wife, you know, that experience tonight of these elders telling me all that they see in me was one of the best experiences of my life. And the next day he was killed in a tragic automobile accident. And his wife, a couple of days later, told me how happy she was we had taken time to tell her husband how much we appreciated his gifts. And none of us knew that that would be our last opportunity, but we're awfully glad we did it. Now, I haven't developed fully my theology about angels, but I know they exist because the Bible talks a lot about them. But I am quite certain that various people at crucial times in my life function as God's angels for my needs. As I've told you so often, I struggle with constant feelings of inadequacy leading all of you as a people. And the more complex this church gets, the more inadequate I feel. And that's why I pray more and more all the time. But you know, over and over again, just when I need encouragement the most, somehow God leads an angel, a person, to take time and affirm things that they value in me. To remind me that, you know, you can't do it, but God's doing it through you, and that's great. And that made me want to ask you a question. How long has it been since someone has said to you, thanks for being you. Thanks for being God's gift to me just when I needed a caring friend. How long has it been since you took that kind of time to be that involved with another person? Before leaving Pete's across the street, Pete's coffee shop, uh, after serving coffee to us for 13 years, I had a chance to thank Mary. She had an article in the local paper about her leaving. Mary's an unusual woman. She uh, brought a lot of life and joy to that coffee shop. She's a very free spirit, so much so that people from all sectors of the community loved her. And when they heard she was leaving, they all came to say their goodbyes. And while I was there, one of their customers came up and said, you know, Mary, you don't know it, but I keep your picture on my desk. And every time I leave in the morning, I remember your free spirit and your joy that you bring to that coffee shop. And I use you as an inspiration for me to go to my office and do the same thing. Mary had no idea she had that impact upon this guy. But her picture was a reminder that people can make people feel better about themselves. Well, I allowed Mary to preview what I was saying in this sermon. And I, I took it over to her, let her read it. And Mary doesn't come to church yet. And her, uh, she, she didn't know a sermon from a... Well, anyway, she just said, well, you know, I really liked your article. In fact, I was so pleased with it, I gave it to my mom so that she would know someone saw some value in me. And I thought, wow, Lord, that's really what it's all about. Taking the love of Christ out into the world and just taking time to see something beautiful in a person and telling them. This year, I, I challenge all of us as one step in our becoming better servants that under the power of the Holy Spirit, I want God to help us do a better job expressing our appreciation to people. It's such a simple, but such a profound act of love. To be able to say over and over again, thanks for being you. Every workplace, Every neighborhood, every family, every church family needs an environment of affirmation and encouragement. There's enough destructive criticism going on. It's epidemic. It's even infecting our children. Perhaps you uh, saw a recent Dateline uh, 
they were dealing with the problem of parents in kids' sports. It was a very disheartening program, in my opinion, because it revealed how parents are verbally abusing their children six to nine because they miss a ball or they goof a kick in little league and soccer. That these parents are so involved with their egos extended out to their children that if their children aren't performing and winning, they beat them up with words. And I thought, how tragic. Because the message parents are giving their children is that winning is everything, and if you don't win, you lose in terms of your personal worth. And I think we not only do that as parents to children, I think we do that to each other as we live in our kind of culture. And I believe we as Christians are catalysts for potential changing of that, what I would call an epidemic. The question becomes, if it's true, all of us need affirmation as long as we live. That we need some help to get on our scorecard of personal worth, other inputs than what we get out in the world. How do we become affirmers? Maybe equally important, how do we get out of our habit of being criticizers and people of judgment? We, it seems so much easier just to be negative and find out something wrong in a thing or a person than it is to look for the positive good things. How do we break that habit? Well, I guess there are many answers. Paul offers one in our text. Secondly, he, not only after telling the people he loved them, he said Paul took time to pray for his friends. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you analyze that prayer, that is such a super prayer. I, I wish someone prayed that for me every hour of every day. Prayer, I would offer to you, is an alternative in our attempt to fix people by our judgments and criticisms. Prayer has helped me break the habit of being negative. A mother came to me concerned about the behavior of her child at school, asking me what she could do to fix the situation. And I suggested to her that a first step on her part would be to acknowledge that as a parent, she can't fix her child. That's God's job. That her most powerful leverage for changing her daughter's behavior was to pray for her. And meanwhile, while she's praying to be her best fan, affirming everything in that little girl that her critical peer group was too blind to see. And I told her, I'll bet you do that. Pray instead of fix. And you might see some changes in your daughter. At least she'll know you love her. This prayer of Paul is certainly a roadmap for how we might, if we're interested in making an attempt to change, how we might pray for others. Again, I would covet prayers to be offered in my behalf like this one. If you ever want to know what to do for Walt, just read this text and pray it for me because this job gets pretty heavy at times. I wonder how long it will take for us to understand that no one is ever changed by criticism. How many people do you know that you've ever fixed by telling them what's wrong with them? Paul gives us such a lesson here. He loved these Philippian people. They weren't perfect yet, but how did he start his letter? With all their sins and how they're just all fouled up and messed up? No, he just says, I thank God for every remembrance of you. You see, that's Jesus in action. That's the difference between Jesus and a critical world out there. And that should be the difference in us. What greater gift of love could we ever give to another person than to dip into the well of God's grace through prayer in behalf of the person we care about?
To pray for another person means we've taken time to discover their needs and their dreams. And then we bring them before God's throne of grace. In our covenant group, we've built sufficient trust to share each other's deepest needs. It's taken time, but the four of us really trust each other. And I would suggest that only when we know a person's needs can we really pray for them. And many times, and you've probably heard ad nauseum, that I've suggested in a church our size, you need to get into a covenant group. And the reason I say that is that until you're in a covenant group, you're missing one of the greatest opportunities for Jesus to reach your life and change it. A covenant group, for those of you who are new, is simply a small group of people who get together to know and be known. So that when crises come, there's somebody there with us to pray for us, to encourage us, to support us, to hold us accountable. I couldn't make it without people praying for me, and neither can you. No one was meant to live the Christian life in isolation, and that's why so many of us miss it. We need affirmation. We need somebody to undergird us. How does the love of Jesus reach you if it doesn't reach you through other people, through us? Paul gives us a model then of how to pray for each other. And he asks that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What's that mean? Well, one possibility is that to pray with knowledge and depth of insight is to pray on the basis that we know each other's needs, that we've taken the time to discover them. One day, Barbara stopped me down on Santa Cruz to thank me for our church. She said, well, you don't know me, but I just need to tell you, I, I'm so grateful for our church. I came here months ago and I joined a covenant group and immediately thereafter, I, I contracted cancer. And the most incredible happening was during my chemotherapy, these people who were strangers just a few months before became people who were totally involved and cared for me and held me up in prayer and sustained me and encouraged me through that horrible ordeal. I would suggest that love abounds more and more when we could get to know a person and dare to share their needs and then dare to get involved and be there for them. That's what love is all about. And then Paul asked that his friends might be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. I wonder how many of you are here today with some really big decisions to make and you don't know which way to go. Or I wonder how many are here right on the edge of some super temptation. You could go either way, and one would flush your life, and the other one, it's going to be hard, but it, you'd be sticking by your ethical values that you found in Jesus Christ. I could go on down the list. When we have huge needs, we need to discern what's best, what's truth from myth, what's right from wrong. And you know, sometimes the devil gets us all alone so that we get really confused. But when we're related to other people, and we share our needs and our struggles and our temptations and our need for wisdom and they pray with us and we kind of get open rather than closed, then the Holy Spirit has a chance to get to us and help us so that we might always choose what's best and pure and be blameless. <coughs> Finally, Paul prays that his friends might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The metaphor of fruit implies there's no instant righteousness. I'm so glad that that's implied here. We say one of the goals of our church is to become like Jesus. And to become like Jesus is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, self-control, etc. But what Paul is implying here is we don't become instant saints. It's a, it's a lifetime journey. And the purpose of the church is to provide an environment of grace 
so that we can journey toward becoming like Jesus, but we have people there to pick up the pieces of our lives when we fall on our face in failure, when we disappoint ourselves and disappoint everybody else. Someone there saying, but I haven't given up on you and neither has God. Who's there to pick up the pieces in your life when you feel like a failure? When you face impossible challenges and you want to fall on your face and give up. Well, those are just a few things Paul shares with us as a possible agenda for praying for each other, implied in that we get close enough to know each other so we know what to pray about. That's how this church becomes family rather than a group of isolated people. And when we become family, we become each other's cheering section. And if I could talk to you, each one today, I'll bet everyone needs a cheering section. And that leads us finally. Paul gave the gift of encouragement to his friends. I love this verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I, I told you one time I was at Disney World and there was this neat sign. They have a way of making tough things kind of nice. And they, our hotel was being reconstructed and part of it. And I think the sign read something, please be patient. Uh, we are in the process of creating something new and wonderful. Please be patient. And I think what we mean by encouragement in the church, one of the great roles of a friend is to communicate that God is infinitely patient with us while we're in process of becoming. And that no matter how many times we fail, what detours we take, God's there and we're his emissaries and we're there to support and remind ourselves we are forgiven, that there's still a lot of grace in God's will. Well, we can never exhaust it. It's not to condone our failures. It's to be with each other in failures as we journey toward that day when we'll become like Jesus. And I hope you have a partner who can do that for you. I need to tell you, again, God has the right, sent so many times the right person at the right time to dispense grace and encouragement to me just when I need it most. I, I, I sometimes wish all of you could have the experience of being a preacher and having to stand up and give a sermon because we represent so many things up here. And one of the dilemmas is that we're always preaching truths that are truth, but we, even personally, we can never quite measure up. And some weeks are, are worse than others. And I have to come to God and I say, God, how can I dip into the well of your grace one more time about this certain failure or this certain sin? And you just get kind of beat up by guilt and feeling, I, I, I guess I'm never going to get up in front of him again. And then somehow somebody writes me a letter, or comes along, wraps his arms or her arms around me and just saying, you know, you're okay. God still loves you. I love you. We're not, you're not up there because you're perfect. You're up there because you represent Jesus Christ as a forgiven sinner. And I thought, what a neat encouragement of people who come to me and I urge that you might find a person who would come to you encouraging you to stay in the race when you're tempted to drop out and take an easier way. Or who will enflesh Christ's forgiveness and unconditional love for you when you've blown it so badly you hardly want to come to church. This wonderful couple last night just said we've just come from a place where every time we go there we just get beat up and feel lousy about ourselves and we just, we were in an, a place of ungrace and it didn't feel right. And suddenly, tonight, it felt like home. The gospel, folks, is grace. It's the good news that we get what we don't deserve. And we're responsible to share that with each other. So this year, I hope God will enable all of us to become God's cheering section for each other. You know, in the Special Olympics, 
there's a hugger assigned to each participant who, at the end of the race, is there to hug the child no matter where they finished in terms of first, second, or third. I, I believe God knows that we need huggers. And my, my prayer and my guess is that this year God is going to lead this congregation to be huggers of each other. So that no matter where we are in the race of life, no matter what our scorecards might say about our worth in this culture, there's going to be huggers here telling us, I love you. Jesus loves you. And no matter where you are in the race, you're infinitely important to a Heavenly Father who sent His Son to die for you. I believe in so doing, we're going to go, grow into believers who serve people and who model the love of Jesus in a way that will be magnetic to that critical, negative, caustic world out there. Partnership in the gospel really is a joint venture between us and the Holy Spirit as a, as a group coming and making us a cheering section for each other and enabling us to receive affirmation from each other in times of doubt and stress and su suffering as well as in times of joy and success. So I thought we could end this morning by just taking a time of prayer. I don't know, but maybe God's already brought somebody to mind who you're saying, you know, that person needs affirmation from me. I need to give them some encouragement. Or maybe you're desperately in need of it today. And sometimes when we're in need of affirmation and encouragement, we don't even know how to receive it. We kind of just sit there. Maybe we need to just pray that either God will identify someone and we'll go for it, or he'll open us to receive it. And let me suggest, if none of that strikes home, you can start to be an affirmer at the end of this service. Because my prayer is we won't rush out of here anytime, ever again. Because affirmation starts right here. And there's people who need a handshake and a hug today in the race of life. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, sometimes the gospel seems so simple. It's, it's love. And we make it so complex. We can't be affirmers in our own right. We can't even receive affirmation because we've we got so many blockages. So we need a miracle of your Holy Spirit. We pray you'll perform it right now in all of us that we'll be able to give and receive what we never outgrow our need of, encouragement and affirmation. Thank you, Lord. You're the encourager. In Jesus' name, amen.